because one of my purposes is really dying empty. And dying empty meaning I want to have done everything I'm supposed to do. So I travel light when I go away, right? So I want to put myself physically, mentally, emotionally in that state so I can be used to tell a story or do something to get into that vibe, you know? And that's where the healthy living, where the emotional well-being comes into play. So when you create an environment that you can do what you're supposed to do, physically, mentally, and emotionally, you will do what you have to do. It's, it's, it's really the law of nature, basically. Good evening, good morning, good afternoon, wherever you are watching in the world. This is a brand new episode of Social Convos. Jean-Luc here together with Diego. And Diego, it's already episode number 15. It's going quite well. How do you feel? It is, it is. I love how you use that intro. I think we're getting the hang of this intro thing now, opening the same time every yeah. week. So that, that progress in that. So I feel great and I feel even better because the guest we have today... Yeah, you might have seen her around, you might have seen her movie, you might have seen her styling. She's in every, almost every field of the creative industry. I first met her, or I first heard about her, like, was it four or five years ago, 2016, I think. Out of nowhere, you get this Surinamese, uh, a movie about Suriname, and a friend of ours, a common friend of ours, was playing in that movie. And yeah, then Misha. You, you, yeah, Misha. And then you suddenly yeah. see... Lobby Singy uh, by Suleyha Winkle. So you think, who is Suleyha Winkle? Out of nowhere, uh, she appears here uh, with a total red carpet opening, premiere, everything. And there's this movie. So yeah, shortly after that, I briefly met her at uh, another friend's party, had a brief talk. But it wasn't until 2019, if I recall correctly, when she was organizing the Indo Film Festival in Kamuena, paper pot that we really had a chance to talk so uh, she's a very i guess she a peculiar woman and a, a very stylish in a sense so she stands out definitely stands out from the crowd and without further ado Sule Hawinkle, we'd like to welcome you to social convos welcome wow, thanks Thank you thank you for that intro i loved it thanks for having me <laughs> yeah so I'm I'm gonna jump right into it. I'm I'm gonna introduce you by singing a very very small portion of a song, and I've only sang three times. One was at my wedding. Another one was at a show that never aired, and this is gonna be the third time. So it's gonna be kind of like special because I've never done this live. But I'm not gonna act like I'm I'm able to sing. So it goes something like this: So many day, you make me walk the. So many timisari, Allah pramisi, minefrigiti, dat megno alobilasi. And I'm going to stop right there. So, so of course, you've sang it a lot better. You even made a movie about it. That's what we're going to into. I'm quickly going to tell the people what, what the text means because we also have viewers and listeners, people who listen to the podcast afterwards from outside of Suriname. So, so many days you make me wakti basically means 
So many days you've made me wait. So many neti misari. You can translate that a different ways, but so many nights I've I've pondered, I've worried, and then Allah promise you be forgetty all the promises that you made that you forgot. That that make no ulobilasi. That that makes that now our, our love is lost. So now that we've spoken about it, you actually made that song. I mean, all the millennials in Suriname, if you lived in Suriname in the 90s, you know Lobby Singing as a Suripop song, one of our favorite Suripop songs. And you made it into a movie. So, of course, we want to know the story behind that because it was connected to your, was a university or, or school project or university project, what you did? Exactly, yeah. So that was a great introduction, by the way. I love the way you sang the song. <laughs> so that's very special. Thank you for that opening. Uh, yeah, it was indeed. I was at my last year of school. I was studying film and we had to make a movie. And it was supposed to be 12 minutes or something. But I really wanted to make like a, a long movie. So eventually we chose to use this, this song. So the inspiration came basically from... You know, the feeling, the feeling of missing Suriname. And actually, I'm going to go a little bit back why I, why I started making movies, actually. It was in 2010. I really wanted to be a music producer in the beginning, and music was my thing. And then I, I followed this, this competition, the Cosmopolis competition, and we had to make this movie. And I won that in Rotterdam. And all hey. of a sudden, I thought, yay. I was like, you know, <laughs> film is my thing. But I'm going to jump now to the moment where I was like, I have to make this movie. And I, 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 I sorry, my, my English and Dutch, I have to really like uh, think about it first because in Dutch it's so easy, right? So, yeah, so we did this competition. And afterwards, I wanted to go to Holland to study film because in Suriname, they really didn't have the, 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 the study. So I went there and I was like, the last year I have to make a movie in Suriname. And it has to be about something in my life uh, that was really important that, that is missing Suriname. So the music was perfectly for, for the movie actually. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so we do wanna know, I, I know Diego likes to make movies and I tried to get into Utrecht to have a minor in, in film and uh, theater uh, science. I unfortunately didn't get in, but that's a totally different story. But for us, it's like you're very creative. Uh, you also worked on the sets of uh, different productions, uh, video productions, different films. How difficult was it to set up to film the movie and how much effort did it take because there of, of course had to be a budget and even if it's a short yeah. move you still have to pull some strings around so maybe you can tell us a little bit about that process yeah the process was a little bit difficult when it came to the finances especially because the first time writing the movie i already had a vision of how i wanted the movie to look like so the writing was a little bit easier i i had a few friends who are really good writers brian blinker he's one of the the co-writers of the movie and he was so great in writing, like to capture really the Surinamese essence in the movie. So that part was easy, but eventually we had to form a team, of course, you know, the camera crew, the, the cast and everything. And I noticed at that time, you know, when you have to graduate, you're, you're full of energy. So everybody feels that it's about, you know, telling people why you want to make the movie. So I had a lot of people who are really enthusiastic about the movie. So the crew and the cast were a little bit easier, but the finance was, yeah, it was a hurdle. 
So eventually we got a few sponsors from Suriname to uh, sponsor the movie. And of course I had uh, my own inbring, <laughs> my own money I put into the movie, but that was, yes, it was difficult to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Eventually it was. I can only imagine the logistic that goes through that. This only being like for, for a graduation project that's yeah. And then yeah. Uh, filmed across two countries. Um, you guys did a filming here and there. And I guess how often did you have to, you know, travel back and forth or was it like, you know, you had it planned and shoot and just go back and go through the editing? Well, were there any challenges when coming here specifically? Yeah. Yeah, of course, because we had a crew like 50-50, 50% from um, Holland, you know, with colleagues from, from, from the school and also from Suriname. So basically the most traveling we did was actually when we recorded the song, the new version of Lobisini. So I, I contacted Astrid, of course, and I asked her if she wanted to be part of the new soundtrack, of course, because it's her song. Yeah. And that was going from Belgium back to Holland a few times. So we had to like make a whole new composition because I did want to keep the essence of the song, but change a few things also in the lyrics and a little bit in the melody of the song. So the new version had to be like, you know, a, a new vibe to the movie. So that was the part when we had to go like uh, back and forth a lot. But we traveled only one time to Suriname to film and we stayed about one and a half months to make the movie. And then we traveled back to film one or two more weeks. So it was it was really working together. They stayed at my at my grandpa. <laughs> a few members <laughs> of the crew stayed at my grandpa. A few people stayed at my home. A few people went to a few friends they knew in Suriname. So that was really uh, was really interesting to see and for some people, it was also the first time coming to Suriname, of course. So they witnessed Suriname for the first time. So it was really interesting. Also on set, you know, we have different customs sometimes. You know, in the movie, we have a scene where the, the, the lead actor is going to the house without taking his shoes off. That's the thing, you know, in Suriname, you take your shoes off and you go inside. So the crew also had that moment where they didn't take their shoes off. So oh. that was that was funny, you know, because they could really feel how it felt, you know, and that 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 added to the movie also. We had a lot of fun making the movie, and um, I had to explain a lot, which for me was also very special because when you live in Suriname, you're 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 used to the customs, of course, but when you have to explain to somebody why why things are like this and why not, you you get a little bit more um, in detail for why are we doing what we're doing actually in Suriname. So that was really fun. I do want to jump yeah. into that. Of course. I actually do want to jump into that. What's the, not the craziest, but what is what was one of the Surinamese customs that you had to explain to the Dutch people that after that you explained it, you were like, wow, it's really weird that I had to explain that. Or not yeah. necessarily that you felt ashamed, but you were like, oh, wait a yeah. minute. That's <laughs> something we're accustomed to, but it's completely weird for somebody outside of Suriname. Yeah, it was one thing. It was with pets. So, you know, you have stray dogs in Suriname and you have stray cats <laughs> sometimes. And in Holland, they're more used to picking the animals upright and petting them and keeping them close. So we had a few people who really loved animals, who really, from the street, they picked up the animals and took them in the car. So that was funny moments. And you know, the animals were a little bit uh, you know, scruffy and stuff. So that was funny. And we had to tell them, you know, in Holland, it's a little bit different in Suriname. You don't take them home, you leave them on the streets. So that was a funny moment where we had to explain that custom actually. And, and really and short. Was, 
if you had to flip the script and you going to Holland, was there anything in yeah. particular that you thought that was odd there? Yeah, there was one moment actually, and this is in families. I went to a girlfriend, we had to study and they had they began eating you know that they, they had their dinner and usually when you go to people's home you know they, they include you right the, the meal and i was there and i was like okay nobody's asking me if i want to eat something so that was really funny and 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 weird because i didn't know what to do right it was very awkward i was standing there and they the girlfriend told me like no we don't eat together with guests not 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 all the time so that was something I, I had to learn, you know. <laughs> so she was kind of really not to leave yeah. me alone. But that was something, you know, where I was like, okay, I don't understand why they have this. But in Suriname, you always get a seat at the table, right? You always get something to eat. Or something they, to they eat. kind of force feed you. Yeah. 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 You're our guest. You're our guest. Yeah, I, I think for a lot of people, I think you, there are definitely a lot of people who have experienced that. That must have been like really weird. For me, I, I was like 10 or something, 9 or 10, and I was at a friend's house where I was staying at. So I did eat at their table, but then he had a friend over. And then all of a sudden was, we're going to eat. And his friend just jumped back, took his bike, and went home and came back after we, we were done eating. And we were like, for me, that was like really weird. But the experience you had was much more confronting, actually, because you were actually yeah. there and you were not allowed to join the table. Yeah, yeah, it was huh. it was weird. They didn't ask me. Like, I was standing there. But, you know, when you get older, you know, a few years later, you understand why people are used to that. You know, you get more, you accept more what's happening. You know, at that point, you felt a little bit humiliated, of course, and a little bit weird. You don't really understand. But now I have a more, I understand it more, like why, why they're like that. Yeah. yeah, that's a big, it's a big cultural. No, it's a yeah. very big, big cultural difference, and it's it's yeah. something you have to have to get over. So before we go to the next question, we have a couple of shoutouts from from the people joining in. Andres Freeman, it might be a gift. That might be the reason why we're not actually seeing it in the stream. Stefan wants to say good evening and also greetings from uh, Fishan Puran watching on YouTube, and he just had a little laugh with the forced feeding because uh, we're all used to that. If you're Surinamese and you're visiting somebody, you're you're gonna get forced. <laughs> Yeah, that's yeah, that's pretty yeah, yeah. normal. So exactly, so exactly. a little bit about uh, set set production because basically you've had a lot of experience also in kind of the art department of, of a film set, and yeah. I always wanted to do with the difference is between production design and 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 art design and background design. What what to to most people that have never experienced working on a on a professional film set, what what kind of behind the scenes jobs are there when it comes to production and, and designing and in general? Yeah. So the basic difference is in the preparation and the actual filming. That's the biggest difference. So before you film or make a movie, right, you have to begin at the preparation part, the script writing, and also figuring out what are the colors that we're going to see? What is the mood we want to set? You know, every little detail is important. Like, why is this, is this, is this like white? Why should it be blue? Those things are carefully thought out, of course, because everything adds to the, the scene, of course. Nothing is, is um, not on purpose. So that's the difference, I think, mostly in the preparation part, especially art direction, which I've done a lot, of course. Yeah. We had to really sit with the director and also the visionary, of course, of the movie 
and really uh, figure out what is the color palette, for example, or what are the, the, the important props you want to put in the movie to add to the story. So those things are, are like prepared before the movie and being bought in, in that specific color, sometimes in that specific material because of the lighting, the shine. So everything has to be very precise. So that's the biggest difference, I think. And, and, and you talked about production, of course. You have pre-production and you have, of course, uh, production on set and production post-production when you edit the, the movie, of course. So I think the pre-production is somebody who really knows how to put everything together before the movie starts. So everybody's on time. They make a list, of course, of all the people, all the people who have to be there. And in case something happens, there's always a backup. You have to be prepared for everything. And on set, it's more about the moment. So basically, when the camera turns on, you have to be really in the moment to figure out, okay, what's next and what do we have to do? And the people who prepared the scenes are more a little bit chilled back, you know, waiting for what's going to happen. So that's the biggest difference, the preparation and really being, you know, on, 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 on the time, on the moment. Yeah, that's the biggest difference, I would say. Speaking of set designs and I guess productions, you've also had experience for one of the movies you worked on during your course in Indonesia. Um, did you, I guess, if you compare your experience in Indonesia and the Netherlands and Suriname, what are things from especially across the world, similar similarities in Indonesia that you've like kind of seen here or what was your experience in general there? I'm curious on that as well. I love that question. I love that question. There is there is a big difference, actually. We have, of course, the Japanese culture in Suriname. My mom is, I think, the third generation from Indonesia, from Yafa. And the difference is they're more spiritual, I think, in Indonesia. When you're on set, you always have to pray before you do a scene. That's one of the, the, the main differences. In, in Holland, you don't really have that, that you really have to sit with each other. I really talk about basically the, the ghosts who are surrounded in, in, in the scene, you know. So those are, are a few differences. And if I have to compare it to Suriname, the people are really excited to make a movie. Like everybody wants to be part of the set. So when we went filming in Jakarta, you know, we had a scene on the streets where it was really a lot of traffic. You know, that's what Jakarta known for, right? Traffic. And we had a camera guy who was in the car with us. And you saw so many people walking around just wanting to be in the movie. So people are really excited to see a camera. You know, you also have that, of course, in Suriname, but not like in Indonesia. So being part of something, you know, something big, I think, was uh, one of the differences I, I noticed in, in Indonesia. Could I follow up on it? Was there any inspiration from that experience that I guess got you to like organize the, the Indo Film Festival in 2019? Like looking back to your roots and where that comes from? Yeah, because that was a very particular event and the way you set it up to showcase filmmakers from uh, Japanese descent as well. So how did that come about? Yeah, so basically um, it was the roots. I wanted to do something with my roots, you know, Indonesia. And what I noticed uh, in filmmaking is that independent filmmakers in Indonesia, um, they spoke more with abstract images. So that was kind of a trend coming up that year, that abstract images without really language, without verbal language was really popular, 
during that time. So I really wanted to uh, show people how they told their story without a language barrier, basically. So with, with moving images, with costumes, with, with great art direction and, and, and great directing, of course, and lighting and everything. And that's that was one of my purposes, basically, to also show like we have a lot of similarities, even though we live in Suriname. And, and, and we have to look at, at the things that, that we have in common with each other. Because if I, I had one movie where they spoke, where they spoke Indonesian, basically, and people didn't really gravitate toward, towards those movies. They did gravitate towards the people that looked like them, but the language was really a barrier. So I noticed the films where there were more abstract, abstract images, where they were the most well-received. Yeah. You guys are killing me with the set design because you have everything, the lighting set up, the colors, and I'm just, yeah. bam, all in your face, bright colors. And I always want to change the shirt because it doesn't match with the background at all. So, yeah, thanks for making me very cautious of this. <laughs> so, like, uh, but it's your personality, um, though, so it fits. Yeah, that's, that's true. That's true. Yeah. My personality is f see what, which shirt is actually available and is clean and which I can put on. That's a very real thing to do. So it's it's good that you're allowing me to say that on camera. That's it's okay as a man you to just great. pick out the shirt great. that that suits. But but I think that's that's a great introduction into something that I've I've clearly noticed in a certain trend with everything you do, is is feel people feel at ease. Me being okay with being yourself, and I I do want to touch upon on on how how that journey was for, for yourself. I think everybody that, yeah. that tells others that it's okay to be yourself had a similar experience and knows why it is important. So for you, what with all the things, all the things that you are interested in, how, how do you pick your spots and how do you decide like what I want to do next? Yeah, so that's a great question. I've been on this journey for a few years, actually. I came to Suriname back like a few years ago and I noticed the thing that really makes me decide to do something if it has to depend on is this is this one of is it does this fit in my purpose so basically finding your purpose right like why am i here on this planet right what is my goal and what do i have to do with all my talents because i i i i can do a lot but what is it that i'm supposed to do so basically it was a really journey for a real journey for me to really look inside you know and really ask myself like okay because I have a lot of talents, it doesn't mean I have to do everything, you know? So what, what is, is my place, you know? So it, it was, it was something I really changed from. And, and that's the funny part because we spoke about Lobby Singhi five years ago, but the filmmaker I'm right now is a totally different person actually. And the next movie I'll make will be totally different. So the only thing I have to say is find something that is true to you and don't do don't do something because it makes you look a kind of way or it makes you stand in in people's image in a kind of way do something that really makes you feel like this is you and it's genuine to you and your story is 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 a story worth being told i think that's that's the 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 road lane <laughs> the thing you have to follow i think yeah yeah the the red thread of fate but exactly. i guess where did that or how did that red thread of fate bring you to fashion and yeah. what purpose did you see there in particular? 
Yeah, yeah, that's a good question. A lot of people ask me, uh, like, why, why, why clothing actually? Because it's it's very superficial. A lot of people think it's very superficial. It's really on the outside. But yeah, I'm gonna go back to Paris. So a few years ago, after actually lobby singing, I went to Paris for two years to live there, to dance, to dance kisompa, and also to to see a different culture, right? And I noticed that a lot of people they're dressed to tell their story. Like it's not only a shirt. It has a story, it has an essence, it has a soul, basically. So it's a reflection of their essence. It's not just a t-shirt or something for them. And it really inspired me to really think about, okay, what am I putting on my body, actually? Because if my clothes are a reflection of who I am, I want to be true to myself, right? So I began venturing um, into the world of fashion and, and getting excited about it and really reading a lot and going to a lot of fashion shows and also being around a lot of people who enjoy fashion. And when I came to Suriname, I noticed a lot of people asked me, like, um, where do I get my clothes from sometimes and where do I buy my clothes? And at a certain point, I was like, if I count all the people who ask me, I should maybe make a business around it. <laughs> So that was really the reason why I, I, I thought like, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try something with this. And I, I saw that people were happy when I gave them advice on certain clothing or pieces and really enhancing why you should wear something and what it means to wear something. And I noticed the smiles on their faces and also how it could change your life. Like really making people see who you are from the outside is a big thing, your image, right? So it was really something that eventually I'm really passionate about right now. And it also has something to do with the stories I also tell. It has the same idea, actually, to really inspire people and make people see how we feel, actually. So it's the same as telling stories, but only with clothing. Diego, do you want to jump into some Paris questions? Because now I'm, I'm kind, of, sure. kind of curious. No, uh, I, I do want to know, like a lot of people, I mean, I've been to Paris, to Paris for different reasons. I also studied uh, urban development, so I also looked at Paris from a, from a, a development perspective. But I do want to know, like most of us, we have experienced living abroad, but not many of us have, especially Surinamese, have experienced in Paris. So how was the, the, the Parisian experience different from living in the Netherlands? Like what, what, how was the rent for instance, for, for living? Was it more expensive or was it okay or doable? And getting around. Was, yeah. yeah, it was doable actually. Compared to where I lived in Holland, I lived in Bussum, that's close to Hilversum. So that was more expensive to where I, when I went to Paris. So that was okay. I shared it also with a good friend of mine, a girlfriend. So sometimes she came, so she paid half of the rent. So because she also loved dancing, so we went together. So we shared the room, that was also nice. But it wasn't really uh, a big financial change going to Paris. I think the, the, biggest, the biggest thing I noticed was that a lot of people really take their roots very seriously. Like they really take it with them and really are proud of their roots. You know, they have it in, in their clothing, in the way they talk, in the way they dress, the, the things they do. If I, if I can only see it in Kisamba, the dance, they, they have a lot of African uh, elements in the dance. So they're really proud of their culture. That was one of the things also in art. They, they have a lot of influences from, from their motherland. It was usually Ghana or a few places, South Africa. And they really bring it and they're really proud of it. And they're, they're basically celebrated for, for their roots. You don't see, you, you usually don't see people who don't carry something with them. You know, so that was a real thing in comparison to Holland. 
can, can we learn from that as Surinamese people, like from, from Paris that we all, because Marlon here says in my DNA. So if we start appreciating, of course we do it, but in Suriname, we often only do it during national holidays when it's a certain tradition connected to a certain way of life. But, uh, but indeed, like in small details is what you meant as well. And in art, that you, the reflection of where you're from comes in. So that's, that's kind of interesting, actually. Yeah, and uh, to add on what you said, indeed, I think the thing they did with the roots were they made it modern. So they made it into their own world. So they didn't only like wore the traditional patterns on their clothing, but they also made it uh, more fashionable. Like they added a few elements of the Western societies to, to their clothing. So it made it more, more modern to them. So they didn't leave it at just that. They developed a culture. So that was very interesting. And you got a totally different mixes of, 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 of you know, of, of everything, music, clothing, art, everything. So I think in Suriname, what I've noticed is, is that when we have cultural events, that it's very traditional, right? And the tradition is good, but we don't really do enough with, with what we have, like develop that, 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 that culture, you know, that, that, that traditional. So I think if we do that more, we can make it more, more modern. I think that will be a good step. How do you think we could do that? And I guess from your experience in Paris, finding uh, about Kisumba, I had to Google what uh, Kisumba was. So uh, when you send uh, us some information and yeah, it's it's out of all the places, finding that in Paris and two keywords that stuck to me throughout this whole conversation that you kept mentioning were stories and passion. And looking back to what I've seen, it's, it kind of encompasses that in the way they, you know, move and live. So from that experience and your, I guess, passion for Kisumba as well as, as on the side, what do you think we could do here to, in your words, modernize these cultural and elements of roots? Yeah, yeah. So basically, I think we have to look into the, the origin. Where does it come from really? And what is it, why, why did they use this particular tradition? Like, I think we know the the basic stuff about why um, something is like this or what happened. But I think we have to dig a little bit deeper and, and start close. Start with, 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 your, with your grandparents and ask them, like, how did you perceive something like this? Instead, we don't have to, like, really um, go, go outside. We have to start from the inside and check for why did you use this and how did it affect you? And how was your grandparents about this? And when you get into the little details about something, you can then work on, okay, how can I, how can I modernize this into my experience, right? Because stories are basically a replica of each other, right? We, we tell stories that already are told in the past, actually, but, but we make it into our own and add little, little, little details about ourselves. And, and, and the time, of course, changes, but basically a lot of stories are already told. So I think we have to be brave to do that. I think I'm not afraid to try to do that and, and really look into what does it mean to me? Like a, 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 good, a good example is it's Lobby Singi. And that you also Lobby did Singi. Lobby Singi. Yeah, <laughs> I use, Exactly. I use all of, all of the elements basically in the movie, in, in, in set design also. And in the art direction, you know, we had a lot of traditional stuff we put, we put inside the scenes. 
but but a sarong is something like very traditional in Suriname, but you can make it into a, a modern design, but use those elements without disrespecting, of course, the culture. And that's an important thing to know what you're doing, what, what you're making. And, and, and that's the thing also, you have to respect it and make it into your own. Yeah, so like when I was came back from the Netherlands, when I came back from Europe after I studied, I joined, I went with my mom to the mall because I wanted to buy a sari for my then girlfriend, like as a surprise gift. And the looks that I got in the shop from the woman working in the shop, me checking and holding a sari, you feel it. And like, yeah. it, it felt so uncomfortable. It really felt so uncomfortable. And I was like, okay, this is not worth it. It's going, really? it's, it's going, it, it's destroying my masculinity. I'm, I'm, I'm not ready oh. to accept this. No, it was really, it was really weird. They were oh, wow. really looking and laughing and like, mm -hmm. a, you know, and I was like, yeah. you know, I, I'm trying to buy a gift for my girlfriend. I'm trying to buy a sari for my girlfriend because I want her to have like to understand what, what Suriname's tradition is. And, yeah. and I do think what you mentioned is important, respect for your culture. It's not like you can just take any kind of, uh, a traditional or, or a ritual or anything and just modernize it and then don't realize what what the culture actually means or what it means and so i do agree with that but i think we we managed with food for instance i've seen a couple of, of local chefs really use local ingredients on on certain dishes that are traditionally done with with other ingredients i've also seen several artists also make clothing uh, special design clothing, but it's never, it's not at a scale that it is. So basically my question about that, how much of it is supply and how much of it is, is demand? Or is it like a chicken egg because there's no supply, there's no demand because there's no demand, there's no supply. So, so if we're going to start with it, I think you gave already gave people joining in and listening a, a good idea to start with, start talking with your parents. I think that's a, a great, a great uh, tip. But also, if you want to start, how can you find out what would work also from a commercial perspective and, and what wouldn't? Yeah. So basically, what I think is that you have to let people know why something is important, right? Because you might find it important, but what is the what are the links that, that connect people? You know, when something like, why would they buy this? It's it's because of the story. It's connecting people to each other. So basically, if you make, if you if you would have bought the sari, you know, and you would have made something new, totally new in, in your own design, you would have to explain to people why you made something like this and what it means to you, what the story is, and especially what you want to, why are you doing Your why is very important. Like, why did you make it? Because you had this experience with your girlfriend and you thought, you know what, I'm going to go back again and make like the story is really important and also what it means to to take your culture with you of course and why why would i because basically i can buy another dress but why would i wear a sari right what does it add to me as a person so i think telling that story is very important to let people know like what kind of strength it gives you and how the connection forms between you and your your past of course your past lives and also your family what it means to you and i think everybody has has that sense of wanting to belong right so i think if we if we can add the story and tell our story like why we're doing something not only for the financial gain of course or for the popularity or something but really because when we die we want to let something for the generation after us that's very important so i think telling that story 
will be very effective. Coming back to your fashion and you designing and mixing, matching styles, yeah. is there a particular dress set piece of clothing that comes to mind in recent months that you're particularly proud of, of the story that formed it? If you're Why willing you to share. Why you buy something for your girlfriend? So uh, a particular piece of clothing, you mean? Like, do you mean that? Um, yeah, that, that, you've, that you've done in, in the past. Yeah. So I think it's more about the timelessness of clothing, I think. It's not really one piece. It's about buying something that you can wear when you're 50 also. So it's about knowing what you're wearing. I think that 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 element was something I'm really proud of, you know, like really creating pieces or thinking of pieces that you can wear when you're 21 and when you're 50 or when you're 32 like me. So basically that was one of the things I was really focusing on. How can I create a timeless style for people? So when you go outside, you know, you're you're not really following trends specifically, but you have something timeless you can you can take with you. So I think that was something I'm, I'm still working on, but I'm very proud of when it comes to fashion. Do I'm quickly going to go through the comments because Marlon also added, when you dig into the root of things or the history of it, you come to have an understanding that changes uh, your perspective about it. But later you can have a dialogue in some sense in the modern day. And then he adds, I think to, to create a dialogue of the story is the key. So since we're, we're we're going into this topic of, because I think this is something a lot of Surinamese young youngsters want to do, they they want to integrate, they want to find something in our DNA, in our Surinamese DNA, especially to day and age, that you can export to outside, that you can sell outside of Suriname as well. So when we start talking about it, you've been in in, in film, you've been in the film industry, the film industry now with Viran, but also a couple of other movies from Surinamese producers that are actually getting popularity, music that's getting popular, Surinamese music that's getting popularity in the Netherlands. What what would be, what kind of dialogue can we start aside from music and film to get people aware like the talents that we have in Suriname and how much that culture could work outside of Suriname as well. Yeah, yeah. I think I think we should look at really what makes us unique, right? What is really a, 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 a concept that really uh, makes us unique as a, as a society, right, in Suriname, Lost, except from the facts that we have different cultures. But what binds us? I think what makes a family a family? And I think when we have that story, we can really, really get people to move. Because I feel sometimes also in art and in, in, in also with friends, a sort of separation sometimes. But it's not because they don't want to, but it's because of ignorance, I think, sometimes. And that's what I've noticed, like not knowing enough about each other. And I think creating like some sort of dialogue around uh, why do people do what they do and have that they have different customs, you know, what I, like I had on Lobisini, it, it brings people to an understanding, especially when I also when I went to uh, Holland, when I had that that moment and now recognize why, why that happened, you know, and it's not offensive anymore. So I think if we do that and, and, and we really make a product, you know, together, and I think from different different kind of places and bring that together, I really have professionals who really know how to, to, to bring it into a professional field, to say, you know, and thinkers who work together. I think we can really make something. But we have to form one unit first. I think that's important. The, the, the community has to come together first. How important is this? outside perspective you think because 
It's been recurring. Basically, every Surinamese guest we've had on here yeah. has had experience, experience abroad, which kind of drastically or somehow changed their perspective of their own country where they come from and in some senses appreciate it more. So mm. coming, uh, you mentioning, you know, having this dialogue and coming together, how much of an impact do you think that the, the outside perspective has on the people who haven't been out yet and how, how could they share part of that experience, do you think? Yeah, I think we should talk about about what we've seen via via dialogues or via films or via podcasts. We should talk about what's different and we should also challenge what the, what's different, you know? Like we grow every time and we shouldn't be afraid to say stupid stuff sometimes, right? So I think the people who go outside have to really talk to the people here and, 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 and start talking about their experiences, the good and the bad. And I think the appreciations part is more because of, <laughs> you know, when you come home and you have your customs you're used to, it's more like a coming home feeling and it's more relaxed and you really appreciate it more because outside it's it, it's bigger, but it's not you. It's not you. And it's a, it's this totally different feeling, actually. I think that would be that would be a way to talk about it more. Speaking of podcasts, I, I think that this is a n- nice place to go because you also started, did a podcast for a few seasons starting in 2019 yeah. uh, called Who There Is Passi, like how expansive mm-hmm. is passion. But quickly, uh, I, I guess a little nod on Sinchas McLeod's uh, Who There Is Before we go into the podcasting, this just came up. The naming convention of all your I guess productions, yeah. Huduras Pasi, Marcusa, Margi style. It has, and Marcusa is passion fruit. It has something to do with passion. It, it has this, you, you can see it exuding from your, what, what you express. So can you give us the, the story or your way of thinking with the naming conventions with all of the things you've done? <laughs> Just curious on that. Yeah. <laughs> So basically, sometimes it's super random because I think randomness is also is also very very intriguing. But the the name the names you 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 use the Marcusa, you know, because of the passion fruits, it's very it's very literal. Let's just say that it's about passion fruit. And Marcusa, the name is Suriname. It's called Marcusa, but you don't call it like that in in other countries. So I thought it was very unique and very Surinamese to call it that Marcusa. And everybody loves fruit, right? And sweet, and it sounds very feminine. So I, I enjoy that name. But usually the thought process is I first think about the feeling. Actually, what do I want to portray to people what would I want to tell you know and, and and the name of something defines everything the energy of the whole thing you're doing so basically it has to have something with the land you're standing on so basically where you live and also with the feeling and then something that people can really relate senses to so basically taste or sound or something they see that's very important so you activate that sense and then you get people to be curious a little bit people to be curious you know you get the taste in their mouth or they smell something or they think about something or they think about someone right a person or something they, 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 they've done in the past or something and then you can add your story to it so i think that's my thought process and it's it's really funny because my name for example and means seduction so basically i know <laughs> that when i <laughs> When I when I when I make up a name, it has to it has to be really something that attracts people. So that's my essence, right? I love to attract people to something, and I think all the names they they how do you call it? 
they bring up some sort of feeling inside of you. So I think that that's why the names are, are like that. <laughs> wow. Uh, I, 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 yeah. Yeah. I didn't I have realize to put that story. This this is totally not scripted. I, I just want to bring this up because a lot of people don't know this, but Ineffable, the first name for Ineffable was actually Marcusa. Really? We all yeah, we almost called well, I almost called Ineffable Marcus, but my founding partners were not having it actually. <laughs> so the reason the reason why and, and, and I never I the, the translation to passion fruit part. It's it's an even a dimension that I was not even considering at the time. But for me it was also Surinamese. It was very very easy and quirky in the moment. But also the, the interesting thing about the Marcusa is that from the outside, aside from the wild Marcusa of sort, but the, the Marcusa from the outside is very simple. It's very simplistic, beautiful yet simple. And the inside is very useful and very sweet. And from that perspective, I was thinking of naming the company Marcusa. And then after a very broad brainstorming session, it, the name changed to Ineffable. But I think that's a very, it's really unscripted. We never talked about this. Diego, this is completely new for Diego as well. But it's it's okay, it's okay. great that I can get to share that story. And now I'm really happy that we don't have two organizations with the, with the same name. I do really love the, and that's something Diego said it, and I think other people will notice it as well if they deep dive deeper into Oh, everything that you've done, the strong connectivity with Suriname. I think that's that's very interesting. We have a couple of comments as well. Jeff wants to jump into that. He says it's a very informative talk. Love the talk. What are the strengths of the Surinamese and its people living in Suriname and diaspora? We aren't aware enough of our strengths and the wonderful things that we are able to accomplish working hard together. Yeah. Proud of you guys and Sulaika. Whoa, you've done a lot. Yes, you have done a lot. And Jeff, thank you for from joining in all the way from, from Belgium. Randy, I'm going to do your comments in, in, in different order than you send them in but he says respect hold the fashion vision trust the process guys and you need to step out of the box and not going out means no outdoor experience i might have read that wrong <laughs> but i think the message is clear we need to step outside of the box marlon quickly wants to let you know Suleiha, that he agrees on you with with creating the dialogue and also a quick shout out from stephanie giving her compliments. So thanks, Stephanie, for joining in as well. Yeah, uh, I guess let's resume the Hudi Respasi podcast journey where basically you also told stories from your experience, sharing your experiences in season one. It's just kind of a monologue. Can you walk us through what got you start starting a podcast? Because podcasts aren't even aren't really a thing. I, I can count the amount of people here on my hands who've actually you know cons consistently released episodes for their podcast and uh, you're one of them yeah. so in 2019 that's two years ago what got you into podcasting and how do you think this format could change the way people consume media and have dialogue i guess yeah interesting question i've been thinking about that why did i do it it started with a challenge of course but it was deeper than that I've been on this journey on womanhood, you know, what is being a woman actually, especially with uh, feminine energy, of course, and masculine energy, which we deal with as women, as modern women, a lot. So I wanted to create something for myself, a challenge where I didn't have to use my face or my, my, my looks or something or my womanhood, but only my voice. 
and where nobody sees you basically, but you talk about your passion or a topic you like to talk about. So that was a challenge for me, actually, to really get people, to make people talk about certain topics via my voice, actually, and not via something else. Uh, the, the seduction part and everything. So basically, <laughs> I really wanted to challenge myself by doing that. And yeah, and, and I was also listening to a lot of podcasts at that time. So I enjoyed podcasts a lot I'm about entrepreneurship, about love, about being a woman and stuff. So I was like, let me try this. And what I noticed, that was a funny thing at the end of the podcast, because the challenge was one year, right? So I noticed after everything that people said the information was helpful, but they enjoyed my voice more. So it was more the feeling of relaxation. That's what they enjoyed more than what I had to say, basically. So that was a fun discovery after that. Like, okay, how did it affect people? And did people really enjoy it? So yeah, that's the reason why I started. It was really a challenge, a one-year challenge. And I wanted to try something totally different, you know, set everything apart and see, see like, what does my voice do? Because it's a part of, of who you are as a woman, of course. And it's not to be used in a in a minute yeah let me say in a, not in a bad way but you can use it in a better way let's just say that yeah were you a little bit early on on podcasting do you think it would have been different if you would have done it like in, in 2020 or or this year it could be but it also couldn't be because when i started it i was really figuring out okay how, how am I going to put an audio file <laughs> online? What program, programs, what software should I use? And yeah. I had a little bit of experience with editing, of course, you know, with film. But I was really like, okay, what works? What would people like? Because I also saw your podcast. I was Googling oh my God. before I oh started, my God. you know, I was researching everything. And I... <laughs> <laughs> and I saw this interview with two ladies. I saw two on soundtrack. No, it's soundtrack. Is it called soundtrack? Yeah, it was. You saw one with Plu, probably, and the one with yeah. Nisha and Yoni Brunswijk. Exactly. That's true. For Suriname Online, I did two. And Music uh, Artist of the Month, I also did two. One with Street Soldiers and one with um, Kenny B. And it was in yeah, 2014. Exactly. And, and I... But that's that's totally beside the point. But I I never followed through, which is a shame. I it's saw. actually a shame I saw. because they were exactly. quite popular at the time. But yeah. that's why I asked I the question that. too early, because you actually, of course, you had the editing skills. I actually, to to be honest, because most people don't know this, in 2014 I started. I did four podcasts and. Two of the podcasts I did together with Top 40 Suriname. So I went to their studio, rented, kind of rented out. Their, they were, it was a barter deal, but they kind of rented out me the studio for an hour. And I did this, these interviews. And then they edited it for me. And the other podcast was together with Radio 10, Magic FM. And they also, I used their studio because at the time I wasn't able to edit anything because we're talking 2014 here. And now, last year, when we started uh, the first, first podcast, there was all of a sudden, there was Anchor. And Anchor did everything for us. We could just upload the file. They would do the distribution to Spotify. They do everything. And all of a sudden, it's so much easier to do podcasts. And I was like, where was this when I started out? So that's, that's where the question yeah. comes from. <laughs> yeah, I understand. And it's quite interesting because when people don't really know such a platform, it's, it's, it's really fun to experiment, right? Like what works and what doesn't work? Because I really tried a few things. I first put it on, on, on I first put it on, wait, I think one of the platforms which you put it on. And also I tried YouTube after that. 
Yeah. But it's really weird. It's a movie, right? It's a picture and it plays, but you only hear like the podcast. So I, I, I noticed that that worked. Like people know, knew YouTube and they clicked on it and they listened to it. That's what they like. So it was really fun experimenting with that. Like how can I keep people engaged without having to see me basically, without movement, you know, with only just listening. So so that was very fun to experiment. Thanks for making the exception now that you're actually showing yourself as well. We're oh trying gosh, to, no, just kidding. But I think... <laughs> I, I quickly want to add that the reason I stopped with SoundCloud is because of the storage. It's because SoundCloud, the free edition, you get, you get a month of, yeah, you get one or two hours. And then when it's done, it's done. I mean, this podcast, we would be able to upload one episode and, and then it would be full. Uh, Diego, yeah. we're quickly going to do the question of Giano as well. Yeah, Giano asks, are there plans for new seasons of Fudio Respasi? Asking for a fan. Well, he's actually saying, I am that fan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay. Should I answer yeah. it? Yeah, okay. Well, uh, thank you for that question, Giano. Well, I was, I was thinking about starting again, actually, but I think next year, because when I talk about something, it has to be of important to, importance to me, right? It, has, it just doesn't have to be about talking about something. So basically, like I said, I've been on this journey of discovering what is it really, uh, what is it about being a woman, right? And I just don't want to talk about something that's popular or that's happening right now. I want to talk about something that's timeless and and, and women of my age or younger and older experience nowadays, you know, what are certain topics we talk about every day or we think about every day, but we don't talk about every day. So when I have a great topic, it's also when I make a movie, it's the same. That's the only time I'll make it. Excuse my dogs. <laughs> but they're they're excited to eat, I think. But but basically that's when I'm gonna make another episode. So it could be next year, I think, maybe. So people are starting to dig into your past here in the comments at the moment. So we got a follow-up follow question by Gregory. I've seen you in a Sudanese music video about dance. Were you into dance music choreo back in the day? And will you ever do it again? Sudanese music video. What kind of what, what music video was that? I, I made, I made a, a short video when I was dancing in Paris with a girlfriend the tarasha it's a form of kizomba where you have to move certain body parts in a rhythmical way i think he's talking about that one actually i am i just made one a few weeks ago where um i was dancing with a friend of mine who's a really great dancer his name is romano and we made a movie yeah it's about three minutes or something but that, that's where i'm showcasing lady styling so it also adds to the, the feminine part about being a woman, of course. And it's not about only the sexual, the sexual part of dancing. It's also about embracing following. Because I think following is very hard. It's, it's very hard. And following is, is, is harder than leading, actually, I think. To follow someone. Oh, yes, it is. Surrender. Yeah, especially it, it as is. a woman, right? Yeah. And that's been the no, biggest but just with dance in general. I mean, uh, yeah, it's yeah. it's one of the things you have to learn if you're if you're. I don't dance kisomba. Let's let's yeah. correct straight away. It, okay. I don't dance. Period. <laughs> I, I've I've and I kisomba kisomba is kind of a style for souk. Is that is it something you can um, explain? And how do you explain kisomba? Of course, of course. Kizomba, it started from Semba. Semba's from Africa. It's more traditional. It's like Bigi, Bigi, uh, Bigi Ari music in Suriname, right? When okay. you have Bigi Poku, Bigi Poku music. That's Semba. So Semba went to Europe and uh, Kizomba was formed. 
because they added like different kind of music styles to it, like R&B, pop music, also soul music, and it, it, it was kizomba. So basically, you know, when, when, when all kind of people begin to dance a style, it transforms into different styles, right? It, 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 uh, it develops into something new. So the Tarasha came out of Kizomba. Tarasha is more danced on popular music nowadays, especially music from, from Holland. So that was funny. And that's the link between Amsterdam and Paris, actually, because Paris is the hub for Kizomba. But all the artists who make Kizomba music are in Amsterdam. Mm. So they traveled a lot, of course. But it's really funny how that existed. Right? And they're still developing new styles around Kizomba. That's the fun thing about it. And I can, I can, if I had to explain it to somebody really short, it would be adding your own flavor of dance. It doesn't matter if you do hip hop or something else into a few steps without having steps. So no counting, like with salsa. There's no step process. There is no step step process, but no counting. No counting. So that's the difference. You have to feel the beat. You have to feel the beat and really listen to the beat and then step. So it's not, it has no rules, basically. And I think that's the fun thing with Kizomba. (laughs) Interesting. And... uh... (laughs) So Gregory, Gregory is saying epic. So you, yeah. you just mentioned you made a, a second video that's out. So yeah. for the people want probably wanting to know where can they see that. So yeah. and maybe yeah. there's also another question here about LoBC. So to address all the content you've created so far, where can people see LoBC if they haven't seen it? Where can they find your dance stuff? For the podcast, where can they go to? So we address all this in one go. <laughs> yeah, thanks for being interested in seeing the movie. The, the the dancing videos will be online, I think, in about three weeks. I will be putting it on Facebook, I think, and on YouTube. So I'll, I'll just add the link, I think, when it's maybe to your listeners also, I can send the link. But I will be putting it up on YouTube, on the Hudur Espasi, the YouTube name Hudur Espasi. Okay. So that's where you can find it. And the Lobisini movie—that's quite a, a story, actually. Because when I when I when I made the movie, I eventually thought I would put it on YouTube, right, for everybody to see. But in a way, the movie didn't feel done yet. Done. It didn't feel like I really had the final edit. And now it's been five years to six years further, but I still don't feel like it is the last edit. So we had a lot of scenes we filmed and we didn't use in the movie. So in a way, I'm still thinking of adding some scenes in the movie to make it really, really done. Is that you have, just have to make part two? You just yeah, have to make, yeah. see it too. Yeah. But because we had the idea for part two, actually, we are going to film at Enfer. We are going to Miami to film part two. So we already were writing part two, actually. So yeah, <laughs> but we didn't yeah. make the movie eventually. Yeah. <laughs> I have to be honest. I've been trying to watch Lobisigi on on the Fiado. I still have to ask Wallace why I can't actually watch the movie. Maybe it's my yeah, own login the... problems. But is it is it is it available on Fiado or is it because no, of the end not. edit that it's <laughs> no, it's okay. not actually it's not it's not available on Fiado, not yet. Okay. So I think I'll be putting it up this year for sure, for sure. All right, so just a little more waiting, Stephanie, and then we can <laughs> Hopefully get a part two soon too. And I, I would say, yeah. I think if, if people see it and they, they want more, it gives you more reason to. And if more people want it, 
that's how the yeah, dynamic right. works, I think. I think also, sorry that I didn't mean to uh, stop you, but just like Jean-Luc actually said, it wasn't, it felt like it wasn't the time yet to release the movie to the public. We had a lot of screenings at different places. We had Tori Oso, we had the Torarica, a few viewings, but I feel um, I had to wait a little bit more also before I would really release it to the public because I think at that time it wouldn't have made the impact it should have made like maybe in a year or something. So I think maybe it wasn't the time also. It was really a feeling why I didn't, I didn't release the movie yet. So yeah, I felt close to it this year and, and it will be coming soon, I promise. <laughs> That's great. Okay. Speaking of yeah. timing, I guess, your your timing with a lot of stuff has been I, I I'm maybe I'm saying it wrong, maybe ahead of its time, like the movie 2016, podcasting 2019. So how how do you get in a way ahead of the trends? And how do you feel that it's right to stop yeah. or go to the next thing? How do I you think process timing? I work a lot on feeling, right? Sometimes it's hard to explain. But basically what I can say is this journey I've been following, like I told you, this is why, what is it being a woman? What is it being a man? It was very important to me. I think I just followed on that because I think we as people in, in society don't really always fit the roles we have to fit. Like we usually act in a way so people can accept us, right? So I wanted to really, really be myself. So everything I do is, a, is, is, is part of that journey. Like I really want to put stuff out that can be useless to people and not just to, be, to, to, to have a certain reaction from people. That's not what I'm aiming for. So it has a lot to do with that, like my journey. And also like it has to mean something to, to, to somebody who's watching it or else I shouldn't make it. So I think that's the path I've been following these five years actually, yeah. That's pretty cool. It's more like an inward journey for yourself that happens to yeah. come across all these things you've done that co co coincidentally were like, you know, pretty early on in that part of the industry or whatnot. And Randy says it here, it's the discovery of your journey. And I don't think that's something that stops, especially how we see you now, like moving all in, in the fashion. So I think to wrap up my part, what is next for Suleika? And yeah. I guess one recommendation you would give to women, especially because you are very a, a strong woman who are Thank you. maybe in a, like at a point where you were like five, six years ago, when you started this journey, what advice would you give them? Yeah, first, my, my journey will be uh, Margie, which I started last year. And also, I'm working on a movie right now. It's not part two of Lobisini, but it could be seen as a part two of Lobisini. It has a different <laughs> name. <laughs> but it's also about, about Suriname. So it's going to be in Suriname. What I would advise people to, to do, basically, is to really be true to yourself. I think that's the important thing you have to do. And really challenge yourself on what you think. Because, like I said, we as women have to be like followers. We as women have to be nurturing, you know, a few stuff. And, and, and usually when you start us as a young woman, you get, you get thought like you have to be independent. You have to do this on yourself and stuff. And we get into fights we don't have to get into. We challenge men, which uh, we don't have to challenge men. You know, we have to, we have to challenge ourselves and, and be feminine, be a woman. And not try to do stuff men do. 
And I think that that's the part that gets us into a lot of trouble in relationships, but also in real life. So if you if you try to be more of who you are, things will flow. And you just have to follow that. And it will come at a moment, like randomly, super randomly, the idea will come. And you will feel like this is what I need to do. But you have to try to really stay in your femininity as a woman. Of course, as a man, you have your masculinity, of course. But as a woman, what does it mean to be a woman? I think that is the first question you have to ask yourself. And then who am I? And then just follow really what, what comes to you. I think that is the important thing to do. And not be afraid to fail. Because... When I started a podcast, I also was like, okay, nobody's going to listen, maybe, and the topics. I don't really know if people will listen. And But you have to trust that everything you you feel like doing and it feels good is part of your journey. And it will end up in something. And it doesn't have to be what you envision maybe as a lot of money or, or a lot of fame or maybe something else. It will end just the way it has to end for you. So you have to trust that process. And also getting 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 further in life, you will notice like, oh, this is why I did this. Now I understand why I have to do this. So you will have no doubt, basically, at a certain point. You will just know, you know, I have to trust this blindly because it will lead to something. And I think that is very special. And when you achieve something, when you did something blindly, that's the reward. And then you touch people and then you then you create something. And that's that's thank you, the the sign of an artist to to to, to shorten that. <laughs> yeah. It's it's amazing because basically you not only answered Diego's question, but you also answered my last question, which would be because we struggle with this, and I, I tell this story a lot. We struggle with this a lot in Suriname. I think our generation is a little bit the last generation that was being brought up with if you're going to study you're going to have to study medicine you're going to have to study economics you're going to have to study law that's that's what we learned like my generation learned those three topics if you're going to study medicine economics law then you're safe then you're going to have a good job people will respect you in the Surinamese society and all other studies are like below those three that's kind of how we were were raised and I think for a lot of people, also a lot of young professionals, things are really changing. We have the internet. It's more accessible now. But still, a lot of people are afraid, not not just to fail, but afraid to disappoint others for making their own decision, going their own path, listening to what they would like to do, especially in the creative scene. I mean, the, the answer is always you can't earn money from film. You can't earn money from music. You can't earn money from poetry, from culture. So what to to elaborate a little bit a little bit more on your last answer what what advice would you give a, a young a young professional listening now who really wants to go into the creative scene but is worried like I won't be respected as much yeah. if I would study economics or law or medicine That's a great 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 question I think you have to think the other way around you have to think at, uh, you have to start at the end and then go to the beginning instead of the beginning and then to the end, right? So basically, you have a goal, you have a vision, right? You want to do this and this. Work from that way to the back. Okay, if I had this, what should, what would I have done to get to that point? Instead of, it's too far, I don't know what to start with. Like, think you already have it. I think that's an important thing, you know, to already feel like you have it. So when it when it happens, it's not a surprise, 
So I think working backwards is a really, it's a really, it's a good thing that also worked for me, not the other way around. So that's, that's something. And I think especially, I think you have to make a plan for yourself. Like how will I reach a certain goal? right a plan like starting from finance also because finance is something we forget as artists usually we have this big dream and we work everything out to the t and then we think oh my god i have no cash right but if you know exactly the amount you need to get something and somebody asks you that amount and can give you the money you know the amount you don't have to stop it it's too much you know but you have to just keep it in your mind in the back of your mind and then it will happen in a way, you know. But I think the hardest thing is to keep being motivated. I think that's the challenge, the motivation part. Like when it, when it takes some time, like why? What do I have to do to keep on going on? So I think that's the part when some people stop chasing a dream or going after a dream. I think it's the most motivation part. And you can read everything you like. You can watch movies where people motivate you, but it's only for a moment, right? So basically, you have to have a bigger vision. You know, it's not only I want to make a Marvel movie. Uh, you know, it has to be why do I want to make a Marvel movie? What, what, you know, why? Is it because I want to show myself that I can make a Marvel movie? Or is it about, you know, people actually seeing, hey, he is a good filmmaker. That, that, that's not a, a purpose, which I would um, recommend. I would think, okay, I want to inspire people that something is possible. That's a whole nother way of seeing seeing something like this instead of it's about validation, right? Because that's, that's what most of us want, validation. So basically think of, think of a bigger picture. And sometimes it's not the Marvel movie you're supposed to make, but it's the independent movie you're supposed to make in Guyana or Brazil. It could be something like that, and that will be your biggest work. So basically think about why do I want something? And if it's for selfish reasons, and I mean like um, getting acknowledgement, it's it's short term. I will promise you it will happen and you will be disappointed, basically, or not fulfilled in the best way. So that's something I would recommend. Quick final question. You probably answered this here and there already, but specifically this this. A question came from a friend and you probably also who you've also worked with but what yeah. sets your soul on fire to keep you motivated oh great question i love that it makes me think did you add a sound edit into that diego i don't know no <laughs> it's almost like i heard a heard a heartbeat what's your fire into motion <laughs> <laughs> That's a great question. I love that. I think for me right now, it's about, it's my mom, actually. One of the things is my mom. But also when I talk to people and, and, and they get, they, they're demotivated, like they're sad or something. I know I feel some kind of energy in me awakening. Like I want to help somebody or I want to make something with those people which i have when i talk to friends sometimes it really does something to me when somebody doesn't believe in what he's doing or or doesn't see a way out you know and and i think that those two things really really make me want to move but but it's it's, it's my mom at, at the number one place you know she's really special to me so she's really an important factor in my life and what gets me like waking up every day, basically, like doing what I'm supposed to do is just fate. It's really fate, blind fate, because sometimes you don't know if it's going to work right. And it's scary. It's super scary, right? You're like, oh, my God, anything can happen. But it's really blind fate. And also trust that even if it doesn't work out the way you, you envisioned it, 
it's going to work out the way it's supposed to work out. So trusting something unseen is, is one of my one of my motivations, actually. And just really saying to myself, like, there is something I'm supposed to do on this earth. Because one of my purposes is really dying empty. And dying empty meaning I want to have done everything I'm supposed to do. So I travel light when I go away, right? So I want to put myself physically, mentally, emotionally in that state so I can be used to tell a story or do something to get into that vibe, you know? And that's where the healthy living, where the emotional well-being comes into play. So when you create an environment that you can do what you're supposed to do, physically, mentally, and emotionally, you will do what you have to do. It's, it's, it's really the law of nature, basically. Wow. That is that beautifully answer why she's done so much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's a really really interesting perspective on uh, on life. Thank you so much for sharing that, uh, Sulaika. We have to ask one final question: If people watch this, well, if people listen to this, where can they connect with you? Which platform would you like to allow people that are listening in to contact you on? Yeah, so basically, I think Facebook is a good platform. You have, I have a few uh, pages. I have Margie, of course, Margie Lifestyle, and I have the Huduris Spassi page. And also, you can add me on Facebook under my name, Suleha Winkle, and um, that's where you can contact me, basically. Awesome. Uh, we'll add those in the description. So if you guys check in later, also the website Margie Lifestyle, which is beautifully done. By the way, I could see the set design and everything in that website. So compliments to that. And as always, guys, this episode will be released on the podcasting platforms on Saturdays. So share with your friends, share with the women in your life, especially. And yeah, I think that is a wrap from our side. Suleika, thank you so much for sharing your story with us. And Yeah, it's been over an hour again, uh, as always. So, yeah. So with that being said, Shanluk, any closing thoughts? And then you can roll us out. I think this comment said it very well. We'll leave you guys with the last comment by Randy. The discovery of your journey. That was what today was really about. This was Social Convos. We'll be back live next Tuesday at 9 o'clock Surinamese time. Thank you for watching. And bye-bye. Bye, guys. Thank you.